Good morning and welcome to our service of worship here at First Church of New Knoxville. We're so glad you've decided to join us for worship this morning here in the church sanctuary, as well as all those who are listening on the radio and watching on Facebook. There's a few announcements I want to share here before we I turn it over to our praise team for the prelude this morning. Uh, first of all, I want to the trust, excuse me the trustees want to thank everyone who helped at the workday yesterday. Uh, without your help, they would not have been able to finish the task that needed to be done, and it is greatly appreciated. Uh, if, I, if I counted right, I think we had about a dozen or so of us that were here uh, yesterday morning getting a few things done. So thank you to everyone who helped out with that. Uh, part of that project was uh, organizing and sorting through some, some uh, well, first of all, a little brighter up here this morning, isn't it? We had some light bulbs that were dead, and, and the trustees and others helped switch out some light bulbs. So looks nice and bright up here this morning. I want to thank them for that. Uh, another one of the projects that we did was, was sorting through and finding some, uh, some old hymnals that we had here at the church. If you look over in the Heritage Room, you see that there are a lot of hymnals that are stacked over there. Uh, they were, there are older ones than ones we're not currently using. And so those are going to be there for a few weeks. And we want to encourage you, if you'd like to take any of those hymnals home as a keepsake uh, for your own family to use, uh, those are there and they are free for the taking. I encourage you to, to take those and use them as you wish. Uh, we hope to find a, a good home and a, and a potentially another ministry maybe that can use them in the future since we are not currently using them. We have the blue hymnals that are, are what, we, what we normally use. They're currently not in the pews right now, but that is what we use on a regular basis. So uh, there's actually a few generations of hymnals over there. You might be surprised to learn a little bit of history. Some of them date back quite a ways. So feel free to take a look, and if you'd like to take some home with you, by all means do so. They are free to, to take home uh, with you this week or in the weeks to come. I want to also thank Pastor Tori. She is not here this morning, but thank her for filling in for me last week. She did a wonderful job with her message, and uh, just it's always so wonderful to hear from her and, and what God has laid on her heart. Uh, next week, there is a Sunday School Teachers and Helpers meeting. Uh, it'll be before church next Sunday at 9 a.m. Again, that's Sunday, August 23rd at 9 a.m. in the Ministry Center. Uh, they'll be handing out curriculum, binders, going over the schedule for the Sunday school year and talking about the two new technology that we'll be using in each room. If you're a teacher in the Sunday school department this year, please plan on attending the meeting. Again, that's next week at 9 a.m. in the Ministry Center. Uh, a couple other announcements. Next week in the evening um, is the... Softball game, uh, United Methodist Church has invited us to participate with them in their church softball game down at the park. Uh, there will be, if you'd like to participate, there will be some food. You can bring a dish to share in the pavilion uh, at 5 o'clock and then a uh, softball game to follow. That's in for all youth and adults as well. Um, I believe they said in years past they've done a youth versus adults game, so feel free to come and participate. It's going to be a fun time. If you're planning on attending, please uh, reach out to me and let me know. We want to get an idea on numbers and who's going to be available and participating uh, in the game so we can plan for that. So please reach out to me if you are interested in participating. Uh, also, on a, on a little bit of a sad note, uh, the men's retreat that was scheduled for the end of September uh, had to be canceled due to a lack of, of involvement. Uh, there were some people that decided to, to drop out uh, because of 
of the concerns over the coronavirus and other things, and we just weren't really anywhere near that magic number we needed to make the trip happen. So if you did sign up and you did give me a deposit, those will be refunded in full, of course, and we're hoping to have more details about that to follow. But that was a decision that was just made over the weekend, and I wanted to make you all aware of that. Again, if you were signed up to participate and have any questions about it, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be glad to, to fill you in. Uh, this time, I want to invite the praise team forward. We are gonna, they're going to be sharing our prelude with us this morning. This is a, a new song that, that we have not sung here, and I want to invite you to prayerfully listen to, this, to the words of this song as we begin our service together. Make this your prayer as we start our time together. Uh, the song is entitled, Pour Me Out.
great song to, to turn our attention to the Lord this morning. Let's continue to do that as we say our call to worship together. I invite you, if you're able, to stand with us. Our call to worship is from Psalm 62. Truly, my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me, but my, from my lofty place they take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing. Together they are only a breath. But do not trust in extortion or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love. And you reward everyone according to what they have done. I invite you to remain standing with us as we sing Blessed Assurance.
Amen. You may be seated. Invite Carolyn forward for children's chat. Good morning. We're going to talk about promises. Everybody's made a promise at some time or another in their lives, haven't they? I've got something here that reflects a promise. You know what this is? Wedding band. People make this one promise was made 49 years ago. Yeah. And we're going to hold him to it. So that's one promise, and we make that promise in front of God. Now, when you buy a stamp for a letter, you put it on there. When you buy it from the post office, they promise you it's going to be delivered. Hmm, does that always happen on time? It might go through a couple states first, but it might find its way there. So that's another promise. The post office makes that. Now, when people use their credit card and you slide it in there and you punch accept, you're making a promise that you're going to pay for the items that you put on your credit card. Sometimes those promises get kind of large, but it's a promise. But people break promises, don't they? It happens. Circumstances or whatever, they break promises. But God doesn't break his promises. His book, the Bible, is just full of promises. You can't get it any better than that. We're going to talk about promises today. And at the end of the service, we're going to sing about promises. And it can't get any better than that. Because God will always keep his promises. And Jesus, when he taught in the synagogue and he read the scripture of Isaiah, he says, I am the promise being fulfilled. I am it. God put the rainbow in the sky to promise he would not destroy the world by that method again, the water. So we really have to know for all the promises of God end up being fulfilled. We can trust them. We know they're going to be there. And the song that we sing at the end of the services day is Standing on the Promises. Now, a lot of us grew up with that song. Most of us didn't have to look at the words today. It's a champion song, standing on the promises. God is our rock. There's nothing more sturdy than a rock, a large rock. And he, it's not going to go anyplace. God's word is solid. Life storms may threaten us or steer us in different directions and promise to sweep us away sometimes. But if we stand close to the promises of God, we have a place of safety. So God's promises are safe. And with confidence, we can say, like Isaiah said, the word of God stands forever. These promises are forever. And they are solid. To believe it and to obey it is to anchor our lives to the solid rock of God's truth. 
standing on those promises, being grounded in his Bible, there's no better promise than what you can find in the Bible. What a great place to stand, standing on his promises in a world that has so much uncertainty. So as college students go back, school kids are going back, we go to work, and every day brings us a new challenge. Remember, God's promises last forever. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for your faithfulness in keeping your promises. Help us to be faithful in keeping our promises to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Carolyn. What a great message for us today, especially with everything that we're going through in our world. And uh, we need to hold on to the promises of God and make sure that we are building on that foundation because that is the one thing that is guaranteed for us to last. Thank you for sharing that message with us this morning. As we go to the Lord in prayer today, I want to encourage you to remember those in our prayer list. Again, uh, these are names, families, situations that are that are that have been shared with us this week. So these are these are current needs that are that are before us today. I want to encourage you to be praying for the families and the individuals that are represented there. I also want to encourage you to continue to be in prayer for uh, the global pandemic that we find ourselves in. As of the end of the week. Uh, 764,430 have died as a result of COVID-19. In the United States, 168,446. Each, that is more than just a number. Each number there represents an individual, represents families that have, that are dealing with the loss uh, as a result of this. So we encourage you to be praying not only for, not only for a cure, not only for direction and wisdom for our leaders, but also for the families that are experiencing the very real loss of loved ones at this time. I also want to encourage you to, to be in prayer for our offering this morning. If you are able to give today, our designated offering is towards the Global Mission Fund, which is designed to help enable people from our own church uh, to be able to go and, and serve in other, other places. Um, this is a fund that has been used in the past to, to help uh, cover the cost of, of trips to Germany uh, and to work in the project there, as well as other individual needs that we've been able to meet through that fund. So uh, this is a great opportunity, great resource we as a church have to support those who are going into the mission field. Um, it may not, we may not as individuals always have the chance to go and serve, but we can support those who have that call and are able to do so. So your offering today will go to support that global mission fund we have here at First Church. Uh, With all that in mind, let's go to the Lord in prayer together this morning. Father God, we come to you and we do entrust ourselves to you. Lord, you are a God who is faithful. You are the God who, who makes promises, Lord, and you keep them. Lord, we know we can trust your word. We know we can trust your promises because of all that you've done for us in particular through Jesus Christ. He is the the yes and the amen. All of your promises, all of the hope that we have in you is fulfilled in him. And so, Lord, help us to to trust you at your word. Help us to to put our hope in you even when we live in a world that is that is chaotic, that is uncertain, that is at times, especially now, full of stress and anxiety. Uh, Lord, help us to trust in you. Your word doesn't promise that when we trust you, all of our problems will go away. That is certainly not always the case. But your word does promise us, promise us that when we trust you, 
when we rejoice in You, when we come before You and, and lift up all of our concerns to You in prayer, that You will give us a peace that passes understanding. Lord, it's not peace as the world gives, but it's a peace that can come only from You. Peace in the midst of the storm. Peace in the, in the midst of the stress and the chaos and the anxiety. It's peace knowing that You are good and that You are going to be Lord. You are on Your throne no matter what. That's the peace. That's the hope. That's the assurance that we have. That no matter what we face in this world, Father, You are still God. You are still good. Jesus, You are still King. And Holy Spirit, You are still with us no matter what we face in this world. So help us to hold on to that hope, especially today. Lord, I also want to specifically lift up all of our, all of our local leaders, our, our local government officials, as well as our as our school boards and administrators and teachers, Lord, uh, as we prepare for the start of another school year. Some have even gone back already, Lord. We pray for wisdom and discernment for the, those that are in decision-making positions. Lord, it's not going to be easy. And we know that no matter what decision they make, there's always going to be a group of people that don't see eye to eye with that decision. But we, get, we ask that you give them the courage and the wisdom and the strength to make the decisions that are best for our schools and for our communities with the, the health and safety of our children and teachers in mind. And Lord, as these new school years begin, we ask for your grace, Lord, in the midst of it all. We ask for grace for those in decision-making positions. We ask for grace for the families and the students that are trying to navigate their own way through these tough times. And Lord, we ask for safety, of course, for all of our, all of our schools as they begin to open here in the coming days and weeks. Lord, we know you are good, and we know that even in the uncertainty of that, you are still God, and we trust you in all things. And so we lift up these concerns in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I invite you, if you're able, to once again stand with us as we sing about the wondrous mystery that is the salvation we have in Christ.
Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. I encourage you, if you have your Bible with you, to follow along with me as I read scripture this morning. Uh, it's always, uh, the words are printed in your bulletin as always, but if you have a, your own Bible in front of you, it's always a, a blessing to be able to follow along there, to visualize what is happening and be able to, to, to underline, highlight, take notes as needed. So again, if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to follow us along, follow along with us as we read from Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his, good, by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for the reading of your word. I thank you, Lord, that your word is truth. And that as we gather together this morning to sing your praises and to pray and to read your word, we, can, we know that we can rely on what you have said to us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So I was praying this morning during the pastoral prayer. I was lifting up our schools and our administrators and our teachers because I think they have a lot on their plate this time of year. They had a lot to tackle at the beginning of the pandemic when schools went to remote learning, and they have a lot to, to plan for and prepare for as the school year begins, and especially with the uncertainty of what may come. Um, and I, th- this, this time around, it affects us in a lot more personal way. Obviously, Allie teaches at Salina, so, so she was dealing with the effects of it as well. But this fall also is the start of JoJo's time in kindergarten. She'll be starting school at New Knoxville this, this fall. We're super excited about that. She's super excited about it. In fact, uh, she wanted to even practice packing her lunch. She's she loves school. She's very excited about it, but she's worried she's not going to eat everything in time. So we practiced. We packed her lunch. And then yesterday for lunch, we sat down, and she opened up everything and ate it, and it was not a problem at all. It was wonderful. But she was just so excited for this coming school year. And I think there's, there's a lot to be excited about, of course. And there's a lot we should be excited about, but there's also a lot of uncertainty not just for schools, but also just for life in general, whether that's your work, your family, church stuff, right? There's a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of anxiety. And, and a lot of that is hard to deal with. There's, there's, I mean, let's not beat around the bush, right? It's, it's hard. It's difficult. It's, it's, it's the, the pandemic with, with coronavirus. It's the unrest we see around our country. It's the it's the upcoming election, right? There's so much that is going on that is, that is so much that is just in our face all of the time and a lot of uncertainty and stress and anxiety that's wrapped up into it. Now, those are a lot, all of those things on an individual level are difficult to, to handle. But I think more than anything, more than any one particular issue, it's the unknown. 
I think that's the thing that we struggle with the most as, as individuals is how to, how to handle, how to cope with something where we're not even sure what's going to happen, right? Connie and I were talking in the office the other day about how the, just this feeling of uncertainty that is, that is just there now. And it feels a lot like we did way back at the start of this pandemic when we had no idea what to expect, Right? I feel like we're kind of back there again with the start of the school year and with, with the mask mandate and the election coming up and everything that's going on. There's just so much unknown and uncertainty, and it leads to a level of, of anxiety and stress. And so I, I share that with you today. I bring that up because I think that's because of that. It's all the more reason we need to go back to the basics. We need to, we need to look at the foundation of our faith. We need to remind ourselves of the goodness of God and the truth of the gospel. That's what Paul does here for the Thessalonians in this passage. They were facing uncertainty, right? There was things that they didn't know. They were worried about the second coming of Christ, right? That's what we looked at two weeks ago. They were worried about the circumstances surrounding there. A lot of uncertainty, of course, in that. And so Paul tried to address some of their questions and some of their fears, But then he transitions here from verse 12 to verse 13, which is our scripture passage for today. And his response is to thank God for his salvation. To thank God for the work that God does in our lives to bring us back to him. In uncertain times, we need a strong foundation to build on. We need something that will withstand the storm. And that thing that we need to hold on to is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the promises that God makes us in his word. Because when the storms of life rage, when the wind blows, we need to keep our eyes on him because he's the one thing in this life that will never fail us. I think I've mentioned this before, but I love that, that when I'm preaching here in this sanctuary, as I'm looking back there, I, well, I guess I can't see the whole stained glass window back there, but I see a good chunk of it and I know what it is. And it's the, it's the picture of... Peter walking on water, stepping out of the boat, uh, as Jesus invites him to. The story is found in Matthew chapter 14. And it's such a story of, of faith and trust, right? We look at that and we think, how cool that Jesus was walking on water, right? There's this miracle that's taking place. And he even invites Peter to participate in it. And that, to a certain extent, is, is, a, is a lesson we can learn from that story. But even more than that, I believe this story is a lesson on faith and on trust. Right, as Peter stepped out of the boat, there was no logical reason for him to believe that he was going to land on that water on solid, on, on solid water. Does that make sense? On solid ground. But he did. And the reason he was able to do so is because he was keeping his eyes on Jesus and he was trusting that Jesus' invitation, his promise to him, was true. Now, what happened to Peter, though? As he stepped out, he was distracted. The wind was blowing against the boat and the waves were coming up. And, his, and for a moment, he took his eyes off of Jesus. And when he did so, he began to sink. Right? When the uncertainty, when the unknown, when all of the, the issues that are going on in the world distract us, it has a tendency to take our, mind, take our eyes off of Jesus where it should be. And in those moments, we feel like we're sinking, right? We feel like we feel the waves coming over us. We feel the wind blowing. We feel ourselves sinking down. And it's in that moment that Peter remembers who's there with him. And he calls out, Lord, save me. And Jesus pulls him back up out of the water. 
I feel like we're in a moment where we're sinking or we feel like we're sinking with all of the uncertainty and the anxiety and the unknown around us. It may feel like we are out in the middle of a storm with nothing to stand on. And so that's why it's important for us to take a step back and to look at Christ and keep our eyes focused on him. And again, that's what, that's what Paul does here for the Thessalonians. After talking about the man of lawlessness, he then turns their attention back to Christ. Paul's concern here is that, is that the Thessalonians don't trip up and don't stumble over their concerns from the previous passage. Uh, walking is a common metaphor in Scripture to describe a, a way of life. People throughout Scripture are, t- are described as walking with the Lord. Um, and to, to deviate from that would be to turn away from Him. As Joshua and the Israelites were preparing to enter the Promised Land, God gives them this command in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7-9. through 9. He says, Be strong and very courageous, and be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God describes following him and being obedient to him as, as, as keeping on a path, right? He says, don't turn to the right, don't turn to the left, don't get distracted by those things, but keep your eyes focused on me. Keep obeying, keep trusting, keep following on this path. And that's what we are called to do as well. See, that's the contrast between the people that Paul described in the closing verses of, of, of the section we looked at two weeks ago. And today, again, if you have your Bibles open, I want to encourage you to have it turned to Second Thessalonians so you can see the contrast that Paul is making in the closing verses, say like verses 9 through 12 of chapter 2 and verses 13 and 14 of this passage here before us today. He contrasts these people that are perishing, that have bought into the lie, that, have, that, are, that are apart from Christ with those that are being saved. And he says four things that are important for us to notice. The difference between people that are perishing apart from Christ and people that are being saved in him. And the first is that that those who are perishing believe the lie. That's in verse 11. And those that are being saved believed in the truth in verse 13. We also see that those that are perishing have rejected the gospel in verse 10. They refuse to love the truth and so be saved. With those that are saved through the gospel in verse 14, right? Through the gospel, excuse me, he called you to this through the gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, those, are, those that have bought in the lie, those that have rejected the gospel are those that are perishing. Verse 10, in all the ways the wickedness deceives those who are perishing, they perish because they refuse to love the truth is contrasted with those that are saved in verse 13. God chose you as first fruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. And fourth, those that are perishing stand condemned before the Lord. Verse 12, that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth and have delighted in wickedness. But those that trust in Christ, those that believe in the gospel, will share in Christ's glory. That's in chapter 2 verse 14. 
He called you to this through the gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. That those who believe in him, those who trust in him, aren't rejected, aren't condemned, but, but have that promise and that hope that we too will share in the glory of Christ. I love that line of the song that we just sang, right? From Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. That, that Jesus' resurrection is a foretaste of what we all will experience in him. That one day we too will be resurrected. Because of his death and his resurrection, we too will experience that and share in that as well. And so we need to, that's, that's the message that Paul is trying to, to relay here. That's the promise, that's the hope he's laying out for us, is that, that we don't have to be rejected, we don't have to be condemned, we don't have to perish. Because through Christ, because of God's sovereign choice because of us, because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit, we can be saved. Right? That's the good news. Right? That there is nothing that we need to do, there is nothing that you can do to save yourself to prevent yourself from perishing, right? That, that may not seem like good news on the surface, but it is good news because the moment we realize that we can't save ourselves, we can look to Christ and trust in His goodness, in, the, in His death and His resurrection. There's nothing that we can do to save ourselves besides repenting and believing the good news. That's it. I must have had school on my mind a lot lately because I was thinking about, about this my time in college came back to me. And I always remember the first day of class, we'd get the syllabus, right? And you guys, the syllabus would always outline what was required of you in order to pass the class, right? It would outline the, the information that was being taught. It would outline the work that you needed to do in order to receive a passing grade, right? It was all laid out there. It was all spelled out right, at the, right from day one. And if you just stuck with the syllabus, if you just did what was required of you, then you knew you would pass, Maybe you'd have an A, maybe you'd have a C, but you could pass, right, by doing the work that was laid out for you on the syllabus. The expectations were clear. There was work that needed to be done in order to succeed. What would be on a syllabus if God were to hand it to us? What would be on the syllabus of life? What would God require of us in order to pass the class, in order to be saved? Nothing. Nothing. Not, not work that we can do for sure. All we can do is trust and believe in the work that God has done for us already in Christ. Right? That's the good news of the gospel is that God, it is God's work. It is God's salvation from beginning to end. He saves us. We don't save ourselves. And that's what we need to be reminded of at a time like this. Before we can talk, and I've already alluded to this, before we can dig in any deeper to what this passage teaches us about salvation, we must first talk about what we're saved from. And that's not always an easy thing for us to do. It's not always easy to talk about sin. It's not easy to talk about the ways that we fall short. But, but we need to recognize that. We need to own up to that if we can truly experience and understand God's grace for us. It's impossible to wrap our minds around the sheer magnitude of God's grace if we don't first recognize our own sin. And Paul would have been the first one to, to understand that. As he was writing to his friend and fellow pastor Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, he said this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. 
Right? That's a pretty powerful statement if you think about it. Paul, the Apostle Paul, recognized that Jesus came to save sinners and Paul was saying, I'm the worst one. How many of you are willing to say that for yourself? How many of you are willing to recognize your own sinfulness? I know it's not easy, but we all need to do it. I need to do it as well. Sinfulness at its core is its selfishness. It's rooted in the belief that I'm the most important, that I get to determine what's right and wrong, I get to determine what is good and what is evil, that it's my opinions and my rights that matter more than anything else. And when fear and stress and anxiety and the unknown consume our lives, our natural tendency is to resort back to that way of thinking. Right? Resort back to that, that selfish attitude of putting ourselves before God and putting ourselves before others. And that's all the more reason we need the gospel. That's all the more reason we need to take a time out from talking about all those other things and focus on Christ and what he's done for us. And we need the gospel for, for all times. Right? We need it to think about our past, our present, and our future. The gospel's for our past because it's, it, it covers over our past sins. All the mistakes we've ever made, all of the wrong we've ever done is covered by the blood of Christ on the cross. Right? That's the good news of the gospel, that is that it erases our past sin. But it's also necessary for our present. Right? The uncertainty, the, the hardships we face, our circumstances, right? no matter what we face, the gospel is still true. That Christ died to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, right, is still true no matter what circumstances we face. No matter what our present situation is, we know we can hold on to the truth of the gospel, that, that God came to save sinners, and we need that salvation for ourselves. And it's true for our future, our uncertain future, right? We don't know what the next days or weeks or months or even years are going to bring. None of us can know that in the good times or the bad times. But we can know that God is in control, that Jesus died on the cross to save us, to redeem us, and that one day he will come again and establish his kingdom in its fullness here in this world. And we can hold on to that hope and that promise. We need to know that there is a God who loves us and who's bigger than our past, our present, and our future. So Paul goes on here to talk about salvation, and he gives a pretty great description of what salvation really entails. And he starts by reminding us that God chose the Thessalonians, that God chose you, that we are saved by God's sovereign grace, not by anything that we have done. To the Ephesian church, Paul writes this in chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, he chose us in him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he prepared, excuse me, purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity in all things in heaven and on earth under 
Christ. There was a lot that was just said. That was pretty much one sentence Paul just crammed a lot of really important things into. But here's the thing I want you to notice. That God chose us before the foundations of the world, right? God determined to save people for himself. And that is good news, right? That is good news because it means that even before sin entered the world, God had determined through Christ to redeem us to himself. Before Adam and Eve ate from that first fruit, God had determined to save those who would reject him. And it's not because of anything we've done to deserve it, but out of his abundant mercy and grace. Right? The good news is that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Romans 3.23, Romans covers this a lot. I want to read something from chapter 3 as well as chapter 5. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Notice there, all have sinned, and yet all are redeemed through redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And in Romans chapter 5, it says, You see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though a good person, excuse me, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Right, that's, that's the gospel right there. That's it. And that's what we need to hold on to. The Bible clearly teaches us that it's only by God's grace that we even become aware of our need for salvation in the first place. It's only because he's revealed our sinfulness to us by his word and the work of the Holy Spirit that we even are, are aware of our own need of salvation. But let's set that aside for a second. Let's just say that somehow, some way, we're able to recognize our, our, our sinfulness apart from Christ, apart from God's word, and apart from all that, that God's word teaches us about human nature. Even if we could somehow come to that conclusion ourselves that we needed to be saved, if we could somehow realize the depth of our depravity and the stranglehold that sin has on our lives, we still couldn't save ourselves. No amount of sacrifices or good deeds could possibly pay the debt of our sin. We'd be fighting a losing battle. No matter how badly we wanted to save ourselves, we just couldn't do it. And that's what God's grace is all about. That's what his choice and election means. It means that God decided before the foundation of the world to save his people through Christ. He knew that we wouldn't be able to save ourselves, that sin would win unless God was willing to do something about it. And that's exactly what he did. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for us. And that's what Paul also is referring to in Second Thessalonians when he talks about being loved by the Lord. When Scripture talks about God's love for us in Christ, it's always connected to his sacrificial death on the cross and ultimately his resurrection. Think of Galatians 2.20 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved himself, or excuse me, loved me and gave himself up for me. Right? The love of Christ is connected directly with his death on the cross. That's how Jesus proved his love for us, by choosing to lay down his life so that we may live. Right? That's it. That's the bottom line. Think of the most famous passage in Scripture, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Right? That sums it up for us right there. That God's love for us in Christ was put into action 
that Jesus came and died for us, not not because we earned it, not because we deserved it, but he came to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sin. It's God's love in action. And so God chose us, the Father chose us to be, to be redeemed. It's, it's through his Son, Jesus Christ, that we are saved. And then as Paul reminds us here, it's also through the sanctifying work of the Spirit that we experience that salvation. Too often we think of salvation as a one-and-done kind of deal, right? We, we said a prayer when we were kids, so we're good to go. Right? Maybe we went through confirmation and we stood before our family and our friends and our church and we stood before the Lord and made a commitment and we're therefore good to go. But salvation is more than just a one-time event. Right? Of course, many of us can point back to a, a day or a time when we first trusted in Christ. And maybe it was a process for us to get there. I know it was for myself. But, but we can many times point back to say, yeah, that's when I trusted in Christ. That's when I believed for the first time. But I want to encourage you today to think of that not as a finishing line, but as a starting point. Right? When we trust in Christ, that doesn't mean we just say, okay, now we're done and we're good to go. That's the starting point of a relationship with Christ that's meant to last from now until eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11 says, That is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to initially see our need for Christ, right? He's the one that convicts us of our sin and, and helps us to see our need for Him. But He also is the one that helps us to grow more and more like Him every day. All right, we, we become more like Christ as we trust Him more, as we, as we apply the gospel to our life more. We become more and more like Him. But that doesn't mean that we arrive, does it? doesn't mean that we ever have it all figured out because we certainly don't. We're going to continue to struggle with sin. We're going to continue to struggle with selfishness. But the goal is that each day we become a little bit more like Christ. We take a step in the right direction. And Paul recognized that it was a process himself. And in Philippians chapter 3, he says, speaking of the, the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ, participating uh, in becoming like him in his death and somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead, Paul goes on to say this, not that I've already obtained it or have already achieved my goal, but I press on to take hold of which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ, for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Right, that's what it's about. It's about recognizing that our, that our relationship with the Lord is a process. And, and each day, each moment we decide to trust Him and be obedient to Him, He's making us more and more like Christ in our lives and through our actions. So God is the one who saves us through Christ by the work of His Holy Spirit. What does He ask us in return? What does the gospel demand of us? We're called to believe the truth. That's it. We're called to, to believe with saving faith in what Jesus has done for us. Now, when Paul here talks about believing the truth, he's actually using the same word uh, that is used elsewhere to describe faith and trust. You see, belief is more than just intellectual knowledge. Excuse me, faith is more than just intellectual knowledge. It's more than just knowing the facts. You can know something is true, but still not trust it. All right, still not have faith in it. But salvation comes 
through a work of the Spirit, when we trust in the truth of the gospel, when we put our faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. And it's, and it's, and it's God, through his Spirit, to the ongoing work of Christ in our lives that helps to sustain and strengthen us. That's why he talks about that prayer at the end as a reminder that we're called to respond in faith, but it is still God who saves us and he's also the one who sustains us. And so I want to close today by reminding you of the three things that we need to know in order to be saved. What does it mean to truly trust the gospel? What does it mean to respond in faith to what God has done for us? It's three things. It's, it's, it's very simple if you think about it. One is to say, I'm sorry, to recognize our sinfulness, right? We talked about that already, to recognize that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that we can't save ourselves. So we look to Christ and we say, I'm sorry for the things that I've done. I'm sorry for, for the mistakes that I've made. And repenting from those things. The second thing is to say, help me. Recognize that I can't save myself and that the only person who can save me is Jesus because of his death and his resurrection. So we say, I'm sorry for my sins and now help me, save me, rescue me, redeem me, right? I trust that your death on the cross saved me from our sins. And the third thing then is help me. Help me to live a life in response to what you've done for, that, for me. I'm sorry for the ways that I've fallen short. I'm sorry for the things that I've done. Help me now to live in response to the grace and the mercy and the love that I experience in Christ. That's what God calls us to do. And that's what I encourage you to do this day. There's people in this room, there's people listening on the radio, there's people on Facebook that have, uh, have responded to that call, right? They've trusted in Christ for a long time. This is an opportunity to renew that trust especially in times of uncertainty and, and the unknown, we need to ground ourselves and take root in the goodness of God and the, in the, gospel, the truth of the gospel. So it's an opportunity to refresh that, remind ourselves of that good news. But there may be some who've never made that step in the first place, and I encourage you this day to do so. Trust in Christ. Trust in the truth of the gospel and be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit. Let's pray together. God, I thank you that you have... In Christ, saved us and redeemed us. Thank you, Lord, that it's not something we can do or earn for ourselves, but it's only because of your goodness and your grace. Lord, for all those that, that hear this message, Lord, may we respond positively to the work that you are doing in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's, let's stand, if you're able, today, and let's sing, um, let's sing the first two verses of Standing on the Promises of God.
Amen. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. You may go in peace.